Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Before we get started, a quick word about our sponsor, Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service helping agents get more transactions from contract to close. Spend less time doing the paperwork and more time on your business. Learn more at OfferToClose.com. If you're listening to the show, then you know tech is changing all industries and fast. The rental property industry is not immune to this at all. And thanks to our sponsor, XBased, for helping us shine a light on all the services and companies out there changing the real estate landscape. Go ahead and learn more at xspaced.com. That's X-S-P-A-C-E-D.com, Xspaced, the future of rentals for landlords and tenants. All right, this episode is really cool. It's a little long, but stick with us on this. We've got James Green. He runs a company called Offer to Close, and it came out of the the concept of, you know, he had bought and sold a handful of homes, and the transaction process itself was very frustrating uh, as as the actual seller and buyer himself. And so he thought, there's got to be ways that we can make this better. And so he's built this company working both with agents and with sellers directly, in coordinating the transaction. And I can tell you as an agent, uh, the transaction coordination process sometimes can even be confusing on the agent side, let alone the buyer and seller side. So uh, let's hear what James has to say about uh, some of the issues with transaction coordination, where the industry is headed, the need for technology, and how this is not necessarily a disruptor, uh, but this is a service that's going to change the way we look at transaction coordination. Well, hey James, welcome to the show. Thanks. Really appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you taking aside the time to talk with us and share uh, what you've got going on. As always, I want to give our guests opportunity. Uh, James, go ahead. Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Awesome. So I'm currently the founder and CEO of a company called Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a service-driven technology company. And what I mean by that is so we offer what are, what's called transaction coordinating services, which is effectively helping real estate agents or buyers and sellers manage all of the disclosures, the, the proper paperwork and forms that are needed to successfully complete uh, a real estate transaction. So we have a human element to that and we're in the process of building a technology element to that as well. So we're building a transaction management platform that simplifies and makes the process more transparent for agents and consumers. Um, my background is actually not in real estate, though. My background is actually in consumer marketing. So mm-hmm. I spent about a decade working at a company called Spark Networks, which almost nobody would have heard of. Uh, but underneath Spark Networks are a bunch of consumer brands that many people have heard of. Um, so the two largest uh, brands that I worked on at Spark Networks was JDate, which is the largest Jewish dating business in the world and Christian Mingle, which is the largest Christian dating business in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started at Christian Mingle, nobody had ever heard of it. Um, we grew that to have 87% brand awareness behind only Match and eHarmony. Um, uh, while I was there, you probably couldn't go more than an hour without seeing a Christian Mingle TV commercial. Um, and so it was a lot of fun to work on that and build uh, an impactful consumer-focused uh, brand. Um, I left the world of online dating 
uh, did consulting for about a year where I worked at a, an ad agency. I worked, uh, did consulting work for a private equity firm, um, and then also helped uh, uh, a digital printing business that's similar to Vistaprint, uh, helped them uh, as well with marketing and kind of some business strategy. Um, did that for about a year. It's amazing doing consulting work. Uh, if for no other reason, than it gives you a lot of free time. Uh, so I got a lot of time to spend with my wife and kids. Um, and it actually pays pretty well. Um, however, what it doesn't do is it doesn't provide you the opportunity to build something. Um, and so I left the world of consulting to be the chief marketing officer of a company called Puppy Spot, which connects breeders with families and individuals looking to bring a puppy into their home. Um, it's an interesting business. I'm not personally a pet, uh, like I'm not a big pet person myself, uh, but I'm a marketing person. And so it was an interesting challenge. It actually had been a very fragmented business, hmm. lived on over 2,000 separate domains. Um, I came in and one of, oh. one, one of yeah, uh, I know, I know with your marketing background, you <laughs> such a nightmare. You can't build a brand. You can't get SEO. You like, paid marketing is a challenge. Just uh, the cost of maintenance. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the big things we did is came in and figured out how to consolidate the entire business into a single brand, take it from mm. uh, a not, not great consumer focused brand to actually turning it into a good consumer focused brand. Um, left after two years and it, it was kind of on, on, on a really impressive uh, turnaround story on that. Uh, great new brand. Uh, really changed the way that the business had been perceived. Um, prior to my to me and my team getting there, uh, there was a bunch of kind of bad press for the company. The American Humane Society was not uh, big fans of the business and kind of got to the point where they actually, uh, as much as they could, could speak pretty highly of the business. Um, so it was, yeah. it was an impressive business. But real estate was calling. So uh, my wife and I had bought uh, our most recent home about th about right around the time that I started at Puppy Spot, so about three years ago, uh, and the process was pretty frustrating. Um, hmm. And I've I bought four homes and sold three of those homes uh, over the course of the last ten years, and every time I've really struggled with uh, how little insight we give to consumers, how challenging we make the process for consumers. Uh, and it really led me to want to start a business to make, uh, make buying homes simpler and more transparent for consumers and for agents. And so even though I talk a lot about consumer focused brands, uh, agents are the lifeblood of our business. Um, we do work directly with consumers as well. Um, but agents are the core, uh, customer of our business. Uh, and we're constantly looking for ways that we can help make their business better, uh, by helping their clients uh, to get through the process with as little headache as possible. So much in there, James. <laughs> First off, I, I, I align with you when real estate is calling. Uh, that's a tough one to ignore. That's why I'd, uh, I left my good job that was you know, remote, flex schedule, unlimited vacation, bonuses on top of great pay to become a realtor making 150 cold calls every morning. Uh, it was a, a very different <laughs> pace yeah. of life, but I, I don't regret a minute of it, uh, which yeah. has kind of led to the show here. Um, I appreciate you sharing the, the background there. I think that shows the versatility of a, a great marketer. Um, you can 
find yourself in a whole lot of different areas. Let's talk about the frustrations. I mean, I'm always interested in the story that leads up to. And, uh, you know, my first property was a few years back. Um, it's now a rental property for us. Uh, we cash flow very nicely off of it. And the lessons I got from that house were just incredible. I, I bought it as a, a FISBO, handled the tra transaction myself. Um, and it was part of that experience that was motivating as an agent of, hey, well, there's got to be a better way to, to make this happen. And in full disclosure, when I worked as an agent, I am not skilled at transaction coordination. Let me just throw that out there and just say it. I was not a skilled transaction uh, 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 manager and thank goodness I had on our team, we had transaction coordinators. They're like, hey, uh, Nate, you really need to get your inspection response out tomorrow. And I'm like, I know, but the client doesn't know what they want to ask for. And so anyway, let's, let's talk. What was the steps that said, hey, you know, we have to start this business uh, because we recognize the need for these services? Yeah, so it's interesting. So when I left Puppy Spot a year ago, I actually started down an entirely different path. Uh, oh, so okay. Not only when uh, when when my wife and I sold our last house, we actually did for sale by owner. Uh, we listed the house. I met with a bunch of agents um, and struggled to get them to to be able to uh, really share what their value proposition was. I got a lot of general platitudes from, from the agents when we met with them of like, I'm going to work really hard for you. Uh, we're going to do a good job. And I did enough research on them to know that I was, I was dealing with agents that were doing high volume that were perceived as really good agents, but they just struggled to, uh, to uh, kind of share their value proposition. So initially I actually was trying to launch a business that dealt with two problems in the space, which is agents being able to kind of, share their value proposition and making it clear to consumers because mm -hmm. I think most consumers feel like it is really hard to distinguish between a good agent and a bad agent. Um, and the national association of realtors put out what they called the danger report about two years ago, which they listed as one of the biggest concerns and, and problems for the industry or problems facing the industry is that there are too many unqualified inexperienced agents. Second problem that we originally started to, to try to figure out how to solve was that there's a lot of compression on commissions right now, largely due to the fact that consumers struggle to feel like it is worth paying high amounts of commissions, which those two are interlinked. I don't mm -hmm. think, uh, I think if you, if we didn't have so many unqualified inexperienced agents that consumers would have such a, such a challenge with commissions. And so we started building a business that helped, uh, agents share their value proposition more clearly and help them compete on commissions or at least be transparent about their commissions to consumers. Hmm. We started down that path. And while I think we were trying to do something unique, ultimately decided it was a, a too heavily contested space to really make a dent. Um, so as, as an example, you have Purple Bricks, which is a basically a discount brokerage model that they're doing flat rate, uh, really a flat rate brokerage model. You have mm -hmm. services like Upnest, which are getting agents to compete based off of commissions. You have uh, Redfin, which is a discount brokerage model. You have Zillow, which while not a, not a brokerage in and of itself, their nearly billion dollars of revenue is driven almost exclusively by helping you find an agent, even though they, they don't do a great job of saying that's how they make their money. Consumers right. often feel a little bit confused about 
why these agents are randomly calling them after they said they were interested in a house, but it's a, it's a very crowded space. And although I think we were trying to do some unique things, so we kind of re-looked at where the frustrations in the process were and said, you know, I, I really don't think that we've created enough transparency around exactly what you talked about. So the transaction management side of things, yeah, most good agents aren't actually good at that stuff. What makes them a really good agent is their ability to sell, their ability to work with people, like their ability to read a situation, negotiate, a lot of kind of the ins and outs of being a great salesperson. However, with that also comes somebody who's not particularly strong at paperwork and the process management that goes into like, right. That uh, goes into managing a transaction. Well, so yeah. we also uh, kind of around the same time, I went and did a survey of about 300 homeowners and asked them, what was the single most valuable thing your agent did for you in the process? Over 60% of homeowners said that, having somebody help them manage the paperwork and the process was the most valuable thing uh, that was done for them in the process. Wow. And so you have agents who don't feel like they're, they're necessarily skilled at it. You have consumers who feel like what little help they're getting there is the best thing that that's happening. And it said, there's really a problem that needs to be solved there. Somebody mm -hmm. has to find a way to do this really, really well. And the ones who do it well, they do it exclusively by just, it's a human who's like, they've got a spreadsheet that's just like, all right, I've got this. Now, now what's next? All right, now we need to get the inspection done. Great, we've got that. We need to follow up with the lender and make sure the appraiser's done. And it's entirely a paper process today. Maybe, yep. a, maybe a Google Doc or, a, or an Excel spreadsheet. But there's next to nothing from a technology standpoint that manages the, that's like a project management software that also creates transparency for the consumer. So, a very, very simple tool that we've launched to help solve that problem. So we've launched what we call transaction timeline. So not like a revolutionary idea, but it, it allows an agent, a transaction coordinator or a consumer to come into our site, basically set out their, their close of escrow date, set out their uh, acceptance date and layers all of the key dates and deadlines and milestones throughout the transaction. It seems like such a simple thing, but in every home that I bought, that's exactly what I've asked for from every agent that I've worked with. And I've never gotten it. I've never been able, like, I've always got an agent who just wants to deal with the next thing and then the next thing. And like, great, well, we'll get, we'll deal with the appraisal when it comes up. But in reality, you're like at day three, you're like, great. If, if you can communicate to the consumer what things they need to accomplish in order to complete the transaction, you are more likely to complete the transaction because all of those things are going to going to get done in a timely manner. And an agent can still play referee or intermediary or Sherpa or whatever term you want to think about an agent being <laughs> uh, where, where they can say, great, send this to me. And when it's, when it's, when it's the right time, because there's, you don't want to waive your inspection contingency on day three or your appraisal contingency on day five. No. Those are valuable assets that as a, as an agent or as a consumer you have, for leverage if there's problems or whatever and, else. And this is, you're, you're touching on something that, you know, I, I think I want to reiterate because it often comes off. I know that I do at least. I come across as let's get the agent out the way and let's let, let the consumers do their thing. But there are some things that if you have an agent on your side, it brings more value. And you talked about your inspection contingency. You know, one of the strategies right now with such tight inventory is, 
you know, come in with a shorter inspection contingency. And, and the way the, the contracts are written in Washington, if I come in with a five-day inspection contingency, it's written into the contract that if I need additional time for inspection, I get five days from the date of my inspection response. Uh-huh. So instead of coming in with a 10-day off the start with the original inspection contingency, I can actually come in with a five-day. So I come in more aggressive as a, as a buyer, and then I still get that 10 days. So you're absolutely right. Having that agent on that side to manage those things. And if they know the schedule of everything falling in line, uh, you know, that, that the transaction should be going through, it can make between the agent and the buyer. That's where the, the value I can see any buyer or seller sees the value in what the agent is then getting paid. Yep. And the, and the knowledge and experience an agent has is priceless. So uh, having a good agent, uh, so as a consumer, having a and good that goes, agent. That goes both ways though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if, the, if the agent don't know what it's doing for you, if she doesn't know how to help you, that is gonna be priceless in how much it costs you. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. Have, like uh, Having a good agent is one of those things where you don't know that you didn't have a good agent until it's too late or yeah. you didn't know how important your good agent was until the point yeah. that, you, that you needed that knowledge and experience. Which I mean, I think one of the statistics that scares me the most about consumers looking for agents is the fact that almost every consumer, it's like 90% of consumers hire the first agent that they talk to. Yeah, uh, most true. agents don't interview more than one. Uh, like most hire an agent without ever interviewing them. And those who do interview an agent hire the first agent they interview. Yeah. Um, and so it, it kind of, it further kind of uh, amplifies the problem that we have with too many inexperienced uh, unqualified agents in the space. Yeah. And so one of the things that, again, part of what we are really focused on is taking the minutia, the paperwork, the things that agents don't necessarily want to focus on so they can get more transactions, more experience, more qualification, and really improve the overall uh, experience for consumers. Let's jump into that. So uh, why don't you go through, what are the, uh, the, the exact services that Offer to Close brings to both uh, agents and as well as the consumer side that you're working on? Sure, so uh, we take a different approach from most transaction coordinator services. So I'll, I'll try to be, I'll try for brevity, although I've never been particularly great at brevity. <laughs> uh, so, uh, there are two types of transaction coordinators largely within the industry. So there's what's called an in-house transaction coordinator, which w- who works for a broker. A broker is usually paying them a salary and a broker is usually imploring their, their agents to use that transaction coordinator. Mm-hmm. Then there's an outhouse or a, an independent, uh, coordinator, independent transaction coordinator. Um, in both of those cases, uh, those transaction coordinators are most often not licensed agents, but they're just somebody who was interested in real estate and is good with paperwork and kind of task management. Those transaction coordinators are extremely limited in what they are supposed to do. I say supposed to because some, some agents or brokers use them in ways that's actually illegal. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. But so every state, Uh, I think if not every state, almost every state in the United States, the state bar association has an agreement with the Bureau or Department of Real Estate for that state that says that agents are limited to practice law on a limited basis in helping their clients to fill out paperwork. And because agents are required to be licensed by the state, 
they're allowed to kind of have that sort of agreement. Um, right. However, transaction coordinators that are not licensed don't have that luxury. And so yeah. trans most transaction coordinators are limited in how much they can help with paperwork, what they can do. So our transaction coordinators are actually licensed agents in addition to being transaction coordinators. Oh, okay. I was going to ask about yeah. that. So all of your transaction coordinators are licensed agent handling paperwork. Yes. So the Got only it. transaction coordinator in our company that is not a licensed agent is myself. Uh, which means <laughs> if I were to help on a file, I would be, I would be limited in how much I can do, which I'm in the pro I'm actually in the process of, of getting my broker's license just so we, can extend uh, our services, uh, not to become a broker or anything, but to be able to just extend agents as transaction coordinators on, on a Understood. much broader scale. Yeah. Um, and so by having licensed agents as transaction coordinators, the breadth of our services we can offer is much greater. So as an example, we can help agents write offers. Uh, so most transaction coordinators aren't allowed to do that. It's against the law for them to do that. But because yeah. our agents are licensed, we can, we can write offers. Usually for an agent, we won't charge them a fee to write the offer as long as they use us for the file if it's an accepted offer. Otherwise, we charge a nominal fee to write, to write offers for them. So we're doing the typical transaction coordinator services as well. So we're managing disclosures, dates, deadlines, making sure that all the proper forms are filled out. Uh, my team of TCs, extremely bright, intelligent uh, agents and transaction coordinators where you could walk into our office today and say, uh, this house was built in 19 1952 in Los Angeles County. What are all the documents that I need in order to fill out the transaction? And they'll tell you, they'll say, oh, 1950, you need a lead-based pa lead paint disclosure. You yep. need earthquake hazard disclosure. Uh, you, and they can walk you through every document and form that you're gonna need to complete the transaction. Most agents have no idea uh, what's needed. And so we're managing all of that. Uh, we can help with kind of other services. So we do a little bit of help on, uh, like we can prepare a listing, we can put your house in the MLS, um, we can- we And that's can, both with age, you know, if you're working, an agent has hired you or if a seller comes to you and hires yeah. you. So- What's, what we, is there a difference in price? Yes, so uh, we would charge an agent less than we would charge a for sale by owner. Uh, okay. Well, there, uh, as you guys know, as anybody who's listening to this knows, a consumer is way harder to work with than an agent in most instances uh, with stuff like this because an agent has deeper knowledge of what's going on. And, and right. So what are those rates? Um, so for a, for a agent in uh, California, so our base rate for a file is $400 or $399. Uh, if you're, if you represent both sides of the transaction, it's $499. Um, for MLS, uh, we have, I actually don't even recall our rates. I'd have to look at some of the specifics for, okay. more, of the, for more of the a la carte. Um, for a consumer, um, I think we're charging $100 to list them on the MLS, $500 to do just their paperwork, and then we offer a little bit of consultative services for $1,000 or more. Um, okay. where we're not going to their house. We're doing, we're doing, uh, we're kind of a sounding board where you can call and say, Oh, I got these offers. Can you help me review them or a, a little bit of a service? But, and I, and I was talking to you about this, uh, kind of before we started the call, but we largely try to be agnostic about whether or not a consumer uses an agent. Um, we're happy to recommend agents and, and, uh, send some of our for sale by owners, which we've actually done. We've actually pushed some for sale by owners over to agents. Mm -hmm. We thought they would be better off based off of what they thought they were able to do. Um, 
Do you earn a, is there a referral program there with you and agents or you do that? Not at the moment. I mean, it's something we've looked into. Um, it's a little bit, it's interesting. So it, it wasn't worth it in the few instances we've done to try to deal with a reward program. There's actually some misunderstandings about RESPA uh, that it wasn't worth recovering or, or kind of re-explaining to the agents we were referring that how this was actually covered. We were, we were in the clear under RESPA or the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just wasn't worth it. Our, our goal was to help the agent uh, to win some business. Um, and, and if so, they're working with you already, I mean, obviously yeah. then it makes sense to, to have that give and take. Yeah. And so that, that kind of leads into like, I want to ask like, you know, if you're selling directly to consumers and agents, but obviously, you know, right now this is kind of a t- contentious point of, um, you know, some just call them discount brokerages, but I'm just going to refer to them as brokerages that charge less than others, you know, or flat rate brokerages, and anyone who sells directly to the consumer, it's, it's very contentious right now. So how does that affect your relationship with the agents you're working with and agents you're talking to? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. I mean, so the agents that we talked to, we haven't really had much issue with it because part of what we tell them, so we are way more focused on helping agents uh, to be able to do more with their, with, we're helping agents to be able to be more successful with the clients that they're focused on. And the people who were already set on doing for sale by owner are the people who are coming to us. Mm. Like I said, we've, we've referred several for sale by owners over to agents because as we've talked to them, we've said, you're clearly not the right person to do it for sale by owner. You don't, you don't, you don't understand what you're getting into. Uh, and so we don't, we don't actually act, although we have it on our site, we don't actively market the for sale by owner or MLS listing. Oh, okay. We had enough people come to us that we said we should build something uh, and put some pricing out there. Um, and so, like I said, even, even at the highest end of the full service that we're doing, yeah, it's not even close to even what a company like purple bricks or Redfin are doing. Like you have, I wouldn't even consider it like a full service offering. It's more it. like helping you do some of the things though. We charge to list you on the MLS, which largely a consumer is doing so that they show up on Zillow and Trulia and Redfin. Yep. You can go do that for free with Zillow, Truly, and Redfin. We're just doing the administrative piece for you. Yep. I shouldn't say Redfin. You can't do it on Redfin. You can do it on Zillow and Truly. You can go list your house for free over there. Um, yeah. So we're doing some of the administrative work for somebody who could do that same thing for themselves free. Yeah. No, I, I, that's good. I appreciate you going into that. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, so you're in LA, uh, but curious, what markets have you guys opened up in? Uh, and where are you headed to next? Yeah, so we fully service all of California at the moment. So we have throughout all of California, we're dealing with files. Um, so it's an interesting question. So not only from a, so let me speak for a second about, I think I've touched on this a little bit, but I, as I think about our service, I break our, I break our company into two kind of one service, one product. So we're building a transaction management platform, which I think we need to get much, much deeper in, in California before we look to expand outside of California. So I think we'll be in California figuring out a lot of the details mm. for the foreseeable future, at least yeah. for the next 12 months. Um, and then on the service side, so that's a human driven business. So there I see us expanding outside of California much quicker. 
Um, and we'll do that either through hiring outside of uh, California or through acquisition. So we're kind of, we're looking at some of these independent transaction coordinator businesses that are established in different markets um, and trying to find a way to kind of merge them into our business and, and find the right kind of compensation structure for them. So some of it will be somewhat opportunistic as to what market we go to next based mm -hmm. off of where the opportunity presents. Mm -hmm. um, as you and I were talking about before, uh, before we started this call, um, I've lived in Utah and Colorado uh, a bunch growing up. Um, both of those are markets that I know particularly well, so they would be high on my list to potentially go into because um, I have networks built there as well. Um, additionally, uh, states like Nevada, Oregon, and Washington, which are all kind of uh, neighboring states to California. Um, we've had inquiries from agents uh, in most states in the Western United States. And so I think it's just, again, very opportunistic about where we go next based off of where we can find talent and where we see the, the, the most opportunity coming up. Interesting. Yeah, obviously, I imagine, you know, trying to navigate every state <laughs> is going to be difficult. Uh, I just had a random thought, though, you know, I mean, with the, you know, uh, I think some of the markets are, are shifting. NAR put out their uh, number of pending home sales last month was down across the country, you know, different rates, depending on which region you're in. Um, some of our previous guests, uh, you know, have talked about softening rents. Uh, and we're not talking like, you know, they have a few units. I mean, between two of our guests, they manage over 4 billion in properties and, yeah. uh, they said across the board, yeah, rents are softening. So it sounds like a shift. I'm curious then, uh, if there's less transactions happening, uh, realtors, you know, some realtors may be making less money. Are they seeking out services like yours as supplemental income and, and additional ways to keep their business afloat? Or are these uh, people handling transactions? Are they dedicated transaction coordinators? So I, I would say we find more and more people are looking for people for transaction coordinators that have massive amounts of skill. Uh, most agents aren't, again, as we've talked about, most agents, it's not a strong skill set for them. Hmm. What you find with most in-house transaction coordinators, and there are certainly good in-house transaction coordinators, but what you find with most of them is they're there getting a paycheck. They're available from Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4, 4.30 p.m. You're not going to get them late at night. You're not going to get them on weekends. No uh, <laughs> our, our team, our team's seven days a week. Uh, you can get us just about wow. any hour of the day. And one of one of the advantages to building a team-based transaction coordinator service is that as long as we can maintain the quality of our agents and enhance that with technology, you should exp we should be able to actually have overlap between, we could have two TCs on a transaction so that if one of them's on vacation, the other could pick up the slack. Um, and so I think what we offer is unique from any other transaction coordinator service because of the fact that we have agents, because we have coverage at times when most transaction court like open houses and offers are not written at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. They're written Wednesday nights and Saturday after the open house. And like they're, they're written at times that isn't convenient for most transaction coordinators. Well, no, because no one says, Hey, why don't we get together Friday afternoon when you have some time to put together that offer in our highly competitive instant market. I mean, it's, if you want it, there, there, there's little time to sit back and think about it. If you want to go gaff, go after it. 
which and that so that actually brings up an interesting thing that I want to highlight too. So uh, we're in the process of developing a native mobile application, which will allow agents or consumers in the state of California to make an offer through the application. Whoa. So it, it, you, sh you, it, you should be able to answer a handful of questions, sign, the, sign it, uh, like whether it's through a DocuSign implementation or EchoSign or, or one of the other e-signature platforms, mm -hmm. um, which we're still kind of sourcing which one, we're, which one we're using for this. But Is that an open call for an e-signature company to come and yeah. partner with you? Yes. yes. Yes, all these signature part, all these signature companies come. come <laughs> um, so I, I mean, we're kind of in the final stages of, of development, where e-signature is one of the one of the few things that we're kind of figuring out last. But nice. In probably about two months, we hope to be able to release in beta that application, so that you can make an offer by answering like 10, 15 questions. I mean, that'd be so cool. You you have the the app on your phone. Maybe you have the MLS sheet in your hand. They should put, I'm not an advocate for QR codes. I cannot yes, believe I'm about I to guess. say this, but I'm going to say this. If there was a QR code, you could just scan the QR code. Bam. It inputs all the info. Yeah. Do you need this form? This form? How many days contingency? Bam, 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 bam. It, I mean, it would write itself up. You don't want to freehand your contract anyway. You're going to want to use the MLS forms. And then it's just tap to sign like you would on the e-signature contracts anyway. Maybe if Compass's new uh, for sale signs take off with the QR codes, they give you all the information. That'll, that'll be the key. I'm not trying to hate on Compass. I'm not hating at all. But I, ha I had a good laugh with a friend of mine. I said, uh, I said, what do you think about those new signs? And Because we were both at Inman, and, and he's like, well, you know, uh, they, they, they certainly look bright. I said, man, they are really going to corner the market of women out there walking their dogs late at night who need <laughs> to be able to see that a house is for sale at that moment in their neighborhood. I mean, it yeah. just – it I had to laugh little, at that. The video to put it out felt a little bit like an SNL skit. <laughs> oh boy. We're going to have to have somebody on the show from Compass to, uh, Which to I, and by the way, I think they're doing great things. So I, I also don't mean <laughs> to hate on them. Uh, I think, I think they're doing great things. I think they're trying to bring technology to a space that, that desperately needs technology to yeah, yeah, yeah. And make the process more transparent. So I'm yeah. actually a big fan of Compass. Uh, and I hope their signs are successful. It, it, it did come off a little bit uh, funny in the, in the video of like, Oh, it's all good. I think everyone has to be able to, to take a jab or two here. Yeah. We're in a tough industry. Let's uh, let's shift up a little bit here. So, I mean, you guys are the whole state of California. I'm curious, what's been one of the keys to growth for you guys and be able to first, cause you've got to grow both sides. You have to make, make sure you have the transaction coordinators to handle workflow. And also how have you been reaching out to agents um, cause you mentioned you're not really proactively going after the consumer. So how have you been, uh, successfully connecting with agents? Yeah. So this is, this is where being, uh, 15 years of consumer marketing has, uh, has come in handy. So, um, I mean, we're, we're actively, so, uh, I've spent a bunch of time building our SEO profile, building backlinks, uh, so that we are starting to show up high in search results for some, some key queries, um, we're doing paid search. We're doing social media. Um, we've launched a YouTube channel where we offer transaction coordinator tips on a regular basis, which we're, we're driving, driving views and consumer uh, interest or agent interest from that. Um, and then we're just constantly reaching out to agents, networking with them. We're sponsoring local uh, uh, realtor associations, uh, partnering with them. So we're offering discounts to them. Uh, kind of 
trying to get our trying to get our uh, our message out any place we can. So we go out. My team, uh, we actually have a unique structure. I won't give the full specifics of our uh, of our uh, pay structure uh, for our transaction coordinators, but okay. we do, we do put that we put every one of our transaction coordinators on a salary plus commission structure, um, so that. Uh, our, our incentives as a company are aligned with their incentives as transaction coordinators. I think part of why uh, there's such a disparity between uh, the services you get from most transaction coordinators and our service uh, is because an in-house transaction coordinator isn't invested the same way and a third party, most independent transaction coordinators are doing it because they like the flexibility and lifestyle that it affords them but aren't necessarily trying to build some big transaction coordinator company. And so we only, we only hire agents uh, slash transaction coordinators who believe in the mission of what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you're going to be taking phone calls on Saturday or Sunday uh, and on, on evenings, uh, you have to do it because you believe in what we're trying to accomplish and building a simpler, more transparent transaction. Yeah. And so I think our availability is part of what's made us successful. Uh, our marketing has made us successful. The fact that we have agents as transaction coordinators, so the breadth of services we can offer is greater. And then, more, most importantly, is that uh, we we deliver amazing service to our clients. Yeah. So the repeat business that we get from an agent, uh, we have most agents that we work with try us because oh, our in-house transaction coordinator just isn't cutting it for us, and then we win their business and then they start referring other agents in their office and then their broker is like, Whoa, everybody needs to be using this, these, these guys. So we've had, uh, had multiple offices ask us to come into their office meetings on Tuesdays or Wednesdays and talk to their entire office about what we're doing. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to keep up with prospecting, developing new deals, inspections, open houses, just all the paperwork that comes with being a real estate agent. It, it's just overwhelming sometimes. That's why I'm excited that we've partnered up with Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service that I believe you've been waiting for. No lengthy contracts with them, no masses overhead, and you only pay when you close deals. Here's how it works. Offer to Close has transaction coordinators that are also licensed agents, so you can have full confidence in who's helping manage your transactions. Offer to Close helps manage your transactions from contract to close, helping you stay focused on your business rather than administrative work. I want you to go ahead and find out more at OfferToClose.com. That's OfferToClose.com, OfferToClose.com. It just makes so much sense. Trying you guys once is far less expensive than hiring someone and because there's just, like you said, there's so much training that has to go into it. You have to understand the law. You know, you do want someone who's licensed and oftentimes you'll see in the job descriptions, uh, uh, licensed preferred, but not required because the first thing they're going to ask you to do day one is, are you willing to go get your license? I mean, they're going to ask you that in the interview and hope that they can train you up to that point. But I've seen, you know, I've personally seen transaction coordinators in, in, uh, when you hit the springtime, summertime rush, just fizzle and burn. I mean, just total burnout, especially if they're, they're a rookie. Uh, and nothing against rookies. You got to be a rookie at some point, but man, that's a tough season to, to, to manage and, and navigate. Um, I, I'm curious though. I mean, you, well, you already talked about it a little bit, I think, but what's one thing that yeah, as you guys were working on and, and developing the, the business, you, you found that, Hey, we need to shift directions. You know, this experiment isn't going right, or that's not the right direction. We need to go a different direction. Yeah. So, I mean, I think 
uh, so I think the offer techno the technology that I talked about that we're building from a native application standpoint. So not only does that potentially represent deal flow for us, because mm -hmm. if you're writing an offer through it, we have the potential to, to do the file on that. It will also, as we build out our transaction management platform, we can also filter that information directly from the offer into our transaction management platform. If you choose, if you choose to use this for the file. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing is really, Originally, we were just, let's just focus on the transaction management platform. And as we thought about one of the most broken parts of the process, or broken's the wrong word, uh, one of the more frustrating parts of the process that technology has done little to nothing to help is the just being able to write an offer. So mm. in California, there's like, if we're helping an agent write an offer, they largely send us like five pieces of information, even though there's like, 57 questions on the residential purchase agreement. They send us what the asking price is or what, what they want to offer. They send us what loan they're getting, what, how much they're putting down, whether or not they have an inspection appraisal contingency. And if they have preference on title or where they get home warranty from, they specify that information as well. Almost Got nothing it. else is ever specified. And so we said, why couldn't this be so easily automated like this? There needs to be a TurboTax like solution to make an offer on a house uh, Because I've been saying it if you can take a photo of your w-2 and file taxes There's absolutely no reason we can't do similar things in real estate. It's just a matter of who wants to take it on first Yeah, so I looked at it and said nobody's doing this It may not even profit us like we may we may see that nobody who uses that because the, the goal, at, at least at this point, is to make it a free service. We're not going to charge for the service. Wow. We, wow. Hope we hope that it's deal flow. We hope we're solving a problem. Um, and we hope it builds kind of our, our profile as a company. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a broken part of the process. And again, I use the word broken. It's, it's an inefficient part of the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today what happens, especially in a competitive housing market, uh, is you have agents standing on the back of their car writing on a piece of paper offers or quickly sending an email to their transaction coordinator who might be out to lunch, might be gone for the day. Uh, I will say my, my personal number one all-time favorite transaction I've ever done was on the hood of a car. <laughs> I, will, I will say that. I won't say it was my best deal. <laughs> I certainly didn't make the most on that one. I, it was one of my most interesting, but it's my favorite deal that I ever closed because it was most difficult and we signed the contract on the hood of a car. It just felt so old school. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's just, if, I want to I bring us in here. We got to start uh, pulling it to the end, but I'm just loving this, James, and I really appreciate you going in on this. Um, I haven't asked you this yet, uh, and, and, uh, and I should have looked it up prior to, but you, know, you talked about expansion through an M&A, a merger acquisitions uh, strategy. Um, you know, one, have you guys raised funds to where you're get where you're at right now? And two, will you be raising funds to uh, pursue that type of strategy? Yeah, we've raised a, a series seed round uh, that we closed about four months ago. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, we've been talking to a strategic investor who could potentially kind of add on to that round, which I'm knock on wood hopeful that uh, that we can bring them into the to close of the round. Um, we'll absolutely raise another round, uh, probably in 12 to 24 months. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're uh, closer to the 12 months, but but we'll see. Uh, it'll depend on how quickly we're burning cash and how quickly we see the opportunities present themselves. But uh, absolutely, we'll go out and do a, a Series uh, A round probably in 12 to 18 months. Cool. Why do you think? Um, why do you think though? 
you know, obviously you're, you're hitting a need that few have thought to, how can we take this at scale, right? There's lots of transaction coordinators out there, but there's not many working at scale, uh, even statewide like you are, and looking to go further beyond that. Um, and it takes a lot of funds. It, it does take some money, but why is real estate only now getting to the point where it's getting those funds and why are companies only now looking to put their money in real estate? Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting. So I've, I've listened to all of your podcasts that you've done so far, and I think there's a recurring theme that everybody talks about, and it, it answers your question, which is it's such a fragmented industry. Uh, so you have all these property management companies that you've talked to who are like, well, nobody represents more than 1% of the industry. And, uh, you have investor solutions, uh, you have Bitcoin, uh, kind of yep. settlement or, or partial ownership companies. And the challenge is there's so like you have residential, you have commercial, you have investor, you have uh, single family home, you have, uh, so many brokerages, you have, transaction coordinators, you have every state, you have cities and, and counties that all have different policies and procedures. And when it boils down to it, real estate, although you can talk about it on a, on a national or an aggregate level, real estate's a local business. So mm. it's, hard to, it's hard to scale. And so one of the advantages we have in being based in, in California and in Los Angeles is that California is one of the most complex states to purchase a home. Uh, we have more government regulation and, and policies in place. Um, and so ex for us, ex once we figure out California expanding to other states from a technology standpoint will be easier. Mm. And then expanding from a human standpoint should be easy as well or easier uh, because of the fact that we've dealt with some of the highest levels of complexity. And so going from complex to simpler is way easier than going from simple to, to complex. Yeah. No, I agree with that. That's why all the auto manufacturers start with California standards. Yes. <laughs> um, hey, before we head into uh, uh, one of my favorite segments of the show, um, I want to give you the opportunity. Is there any one thing we haven't covered yet about offer to close that you feel is really important for people to know about what you're doing and where you guys are headed? Uh, so hopefully it, it comes through in the interview, but we're super passionate about real estate and not, although I talk a lot about solving the problem from, for consumers, I think that happens by virtue of having better agents, which we hope to do by making their life simpler and easier so they can focus on the things that they're best at and yeah. using their experience and their, uh, and their knowledge to help clients navigate a bad appraisal, uh, a inspection issue, uh, all of the kind of the things that agents see over and over and over again that they're able to navigate and know how best not only to get through the process and ensure a deal closes, but how they can best represent their clients in that process. So uh, although I've been consumer focused from my historical career and although we do some consumer focused stuff uh, and we think timeline and offer to and the uh, native application that allows you to do offers, even though those impact consumers directly, uh, it, it very much is a, I think we only get better as an industry if we're all looking to help consumers and all working together to find solutions. Yeah. Uh, too many people in this industry are uh, scared about what's happening with compressions on commissions and technology trying to disrupt the space. I don't think of our technology as disruptive. I think uh, of our technology as supplementary to what what's going on in the space uh i don't think agents are going away 
I think what an agent looks like in a few years may be very different than what it is today, but I think agents will continue to exist and that knowledge and experience is yeah. the single most valuable uh, piece that they have. And we need to find ways to unlock that so that agents are better to use, are better able to use that to navigate transactions rather than dealing with what the disclosure requirements are in Long Beach. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Um, appreciate you sharing that. Also, thank you for listening to every episode of the podcast. Hey, <laughs> I don't actually expect everyone who is on it to, to actually listen to it. So I do appreciate that. Of um, all right, let's jump into it. You know, this game, we talked about it before the call, you already had the questions down. This is for the future for the future is a segment where I ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. James, you're ready to play. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> all right. Uh, question number one, what does offer to close look like one year from now? Yeah, so I think uh, our services have expanded to two or three additional states. Um, our technology, which is today only being used internally amongst our transaction coordinators, I think we are using that not only with agents, but also consumers. And uh, our rollout plan for us is we're fine-tuning it uh, ourselves. Then we're going to allow agents to kind of see underneath uh, or behind the curtain. And then we'll allow their clients to see what we're working on. So they'll get the email messages, they'll see the timelines and, and tasks that we have set up for them and kind of all of the transaction management platform. So we'll be fully rolled out in California with our technology. Um, our offers platform will be the most popular app on both the iOS and Google play store. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think I, I look forward to 12 months from now to seeing how right and how wrong I am. <laughs> I love the aspirations. Uh, fortunately, we're recording this and we're going to hold you accountable to that 12 months from now. Accountability is good. <laughs> uh, what's the housing market look like one year from now? Um, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of ebb and flows, not just over the next year, but the next five to seven years. Whoa. So for, fortunately, I don't think we're going to see a big boom or bust anytime soon. Come um, on, you're killing my next question. <laughs> uh, so I thought, okay. I thought was, uh, but uh, so I think the I think the last bust happened because of a large confluence of events. So you had securities being packaged improperly, where bad credit was being packaged with good credit and being sold to investors. You had appraisals which were not being done in a way where incentives were properly aligned. Um, there's an inter interesting white paper uh, that I recently read about appraisals where. It's something like 95% of appraisals come in at or above asking price or at, at the agreed upon purchase price. Yeah. Can we talk about for that for just a minute? Sure. I want to tell you a story of how I sold a three bed, two bath, double wide with an addition on a one acre with a two car garage, detached shop and an RV no it's not the weirdest ever I promise you an RV parking space that had a cover right one of those yeah. RV covers how did that appraiser come in the same price we offered <laughs> somebody tell me that because I, I I was like wow appraisal came right in where it needed to be this is not 10 years ago this was last year yeah I mean so I, I, coincidental I if you ask me I think the I think the appraisal process is uh, we need to find a better solution. Um, I'm hopeful mm -hmm. there was you obviously had an appraisal a guy who's building an appraisal technology 
hopefully their their team can can figure it out. But uh, I mean, I think the biggest challenge on the appraisal side is uh, that the again the incentives are if you're if you're an appraiser who's consistently turning down deals or causing deals to not go through, people are going to try not to use you. And so I think that's one of the big issues. Like. I think there needs to be an incentive in place where banks need to reward appraisers for being more open about what it really appraises for. Um, because I think the, the problem is you don't win business if you're, if you turn down 50% of, of loans or you cause 50% of loans to not go through because you're appraising under the, the agreed upon price, mm-hmm. you just don't keep winning business. And so if you want business as an appraiser, it obviously becomes a little bit more complex. It was interesting in that in that same white paper, it showed that like, so it's something like 50% of homes appraised at agreed upon price and up to 0.5 or up to uh, half a percent above uh, the agreed upon price. So like a standard bell, bell curve distribution, you would expect that 40% would be slightly at, uh, slightly below to zero to 0.5% below. And okay. it's like, one percent of transactions appraise at, on that side of the agreed upon purchase price, mm. which suggests that it like there's there's not some there's something that's I, either it's too challenging to appraise properties at, at a level of accuracy, and so they get in a in a ballpark and say, well, we shouldn't hold this up because it's ultimately the goal of an appraiser isn't to determine the exact price of a home, uh, and I think sometimes we we misunderstand that that's the goal of an appraiser. Sure, sure. An appraiser is is designed to provide an estimate of value to a lender so that the lender can feel confident that their investment is safe. Mm. Um, And so especially if you have somebody who's coming in with a 20% down payment, the margin of error can be 5% and it doesn't make a big difference. So I think some of it's we have to change the way we think about appraisals and Mm. some of it is we need need to properly incent them to, to... either increase accuracy or to increase the way they communicate what an appraisal really is. How about increase speed of turnaround? <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be good as well. That's also like, that's also a super fragmented space where it's a lot of one-off people. So home inspections and appraisals are a lot of yeah. individuals or small companies. Uh, There's a few franchises out there. Um, I, my, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't want to detract here. I have too many stories on that one, but let's, let's keep it going here. Question three, you kind of alluded to this big, big boom or bust. When is the next one happening in real estate? So I I think it'll be a while before we have it. So I I don't recall if it was a guest on your show or if it was an article I was reading. I mean, I think the one thing we can learn from history is that history always repeats itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get a point to a point where lenders get greedy again, where, the government release, uh, relaxes standards uh, where- By the way, asset-backed loans, uh, non-collateralized loans, and stated income loans, I'm telling you directly from other horses' mouths, they are a thing and are happening again. Awesome. That's good to hear. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, like, I, I think we're-, we're no matter what, we're going to head for a big boom or bust. It's just a matter of when. I, like I, I don't think it will be for more than ten years. I think we've learned we've learned enough of our mistakes that even if there are some people doing that, and I had a conversation with a lender the other day who made a comment like, "I don't really care. I'll take non-stated income loans because I'm just going to sell them anyway." Like 
it was kind of a, like, as long as I get my money, I don't, I don't care how, how, uh, how strong the, the borrower is, uh, as long as I can find a way to package it and sell it properly. Um, so, I mean, it definitely, like we're, we're always going to have people who live in, in that space. The question is whether or not as a whole, we move more towards, so in 2006, 2007, the industry as a whole was moving towards that with, uh, adjustable rate mortgages that had balloon payments for people that had, were on stated income loans uh, and then securities were being sold yep. and, and appraisals weren't coming in properly. And like, it was a confluence of, event, of events that led to that. And so uh, I think we're a ways off from getting back to yeah. that. But I, I mean, I, my hope is that it's more than 20 years away. Um, but I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think we'll see ebbs and flows in the market driven in part by inventory, uh, and availability and what we're going to see. So in Los Angeles in June and July, we saw inventory open up a little bit. Mm -hmm. What's going to start happening when that happens is prices are going to start dropping because I mean, it's, it's simple laws of supply and demand. Prices are going up because there's not enough supply. So the demand increases and pushes price up the yield curve. Uh, as inventory opens up, price will move back down the yield curve to a point where we have equilibrium between supply and demand. Where supply and where supply and demand curves don't necessarily operate the way they're supposed to is irrational consumers. Uh, and so, if if people start to get concerned that we're heading for a big drop in prices, <clears throat> and people start wanting to quickly sell their homes uh, because they're worried it won't be worth as much. I think we could see bigger dips and oh, we could see bigger valleys. Um, but I think that will then also turn around and turn into bigger, bigger peaks as well, because then what you'll have is uh, after you bottom out, as long as you don't have a complete meltdown in consumer confidence, mm -hmm. you'll see that uh, the people who sold quickly, uh, they get out of the market and then everybody goes back to uh, we're holding because we think our house is worth more. And so then supply will be short and it will climb back up the supply curve. The, the demand curve will, uh, will outpace the supply curve and price will creep back up. So I, I suspect we have more ebbs and flows of, a, I think of a, I think that's a healthier housing economy when you have ebbs and flows, you're never going to be at, at a, a point of uh, true equilibrium or supply and demand or, are constantly, even to one another, especially because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, real estate's a, a local business. And so job supply is going to change in Cleveland, Ohio, which is going to cause some differences because there will be less demand. Uh, on an aggregate level, I think it's easy to see the movements that I'm talking about, but on a market-by-market -market basis, yeah, it's really, really challenging to, uh, to be able to predict that uh, effectively. I agree. All right. Question for the final uh, for the future. Uh, what's one thing you believe will fade away or dramatically change in real estate as a result of technological advances? Yeah. You know, I would say uh, complexity and confusion. So uh, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, we did a survey of about 300 homeowners uh, about a year ago, asking them a bunch of questions, including what was the most valuable thing your agent did. We gave them kind of a, uh, an open form to say, what are the things that, uh, uh, that you w wish was better about the home buying process? And I'll, I'll just read you a few of the answers, closing time, more choices, cost of title, less complicated process, less paperwork, checklist for mortgage documents, uh, make it as fast as possible, all that paperwork, 
uh, more help understanding the legal language on contracts, avoid duplication of paperwork, uh, reduce the paperwork, uh, pre-information about escrow and financing, a less stressful closing process. Uh, like wow. Those are examples of what consumers are finding challenging about the so, process. So every, all the, 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 some of those top items are, I mean, not, not, to, not to poke the snake here, but those are what the iBuyers are saying they're bringing to the table. That's interesting. Yeah, look, that. I, think, I, I think iBuyers are interesting. Like, uh, I think... I think what they offer is surety of being able to sell your home quickly. Uh, They don't offer the most economic approach. Uh, So if I, as a home seller need to move quickly because of a family emergency or because I have a job uh, and maybe 10, $15,000 here or there doesn't make a big difference because I can sell my home today. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely consider an iBuyer program. The problem is they're, if a typical agent commission is 5%, the iBuyer programs are closer to 10 to 15%. Uh, and so it's, if they could find a way to say, I'm just going to eat your 6%. I think they would be more successful because then your option is I just give you the commission and I'm sold or I pay an agent, which I don't think is economical for them, but I think that's, that's what a consumer has to look at. So yeah. most consumers, all the, the average homeowner, has the majority of their personal net worth tied up in their home. And so just giving away equity for, for iBuyer, I don't see it being the demise of real estate agents the way some people talk about it. And I'm not super worried about Zillow iBuying every home on their platform or anything along those lines, not only because that's way too capitally intensive, uh, but there still has to be somebody to sell the house and somebody to help with that process in whatever local, like. Zillow basically in part because they're protecting their business model, but also because they need somebody to do showings and manage paperwork and all like they still have agents who are, who are selling the house even in their yeah. model. They're yeah. just a lower commission rate because there's a little bit more surety and, and Zillow's offering more of the services that uh, an agent would have to do. Not, not too dissimilar from open listings where they basically say, we'll find you a qualified buyer who's ready to make an offer on a house the yep. less is a commission so that we can give that back to uh, back to the consumer. Uh, everybody I've talked to who's on open listings loves being part of that platform because they have so much deal flow, but they're doing it at a, at a lower commission. So anyway, yep. I, I, t- I tangented as away from iBuyer to uh, <laughs> open listings, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I, think okay. that's, I, think, All right. I think that's what the iBuyers are offering. But I don't think that should be something to be scared about because the, the gist of it is a different value proposition than what an agent has or what uh, yeah. other other business offerings have. That's good. All right, we're gonna we're headed into the last three here, James. Um, this is just so for our listeners and uh, those who are watching uh, can learn more about you. Uh, what are you reading these days? What books, blogs, magazines, uh, websites? What do you read? Yeah, so uh, I wish I had more time to read. Uh, I love reading, and I feel like with three kids and, uh, and, and this job, I wish I had more time, but, uh, so I, I, action coordinator for all of your, uh, all the, all the work you got on your, it'd be be good. But, um, so, uh, for personal reading, I'm finishing up a series called red rising, uh, which is done by Pierce Brown. Uh, it's an incredible series. Uh, highly recommend it, um, on a professional level. And this is kind of a personal slash professional, uh, I'm, re- I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So I really want to make sure I'm teaching my kids about how to make money work for them. Um, as somebody, Nate, as somebody who's invested in real estate property, obviously you, you've kind of got the idea of like, let's put, put money to work so that we can provide for the lifestyle that we want. And we like make choices where it, whatever you're doing for work, you're doing it because you love it and not yep. because you need a paycheck every month. Like yep. I want to teach my kids that I want to teach my employees that, uh, that's, yep. part, that's part of why. So we're hiring right now. One of the things that I tell, uh, my head developer who's who's doing the hiring right now we hire for people who understand our mission we then hire for cultural fit and then we hire for intelligence after that yeah we need you to believe in what we're trying to do same sort of way that rich dad poor dad talks about it's understanding of goals and objectives and, and believing in that um so and then lastly i'm reading million dollar agent uh by uh gary keller by gary keller so yep yep which, uh, yeah, that's the book that pushed me over to made me uh, say, okay, I'm going to go be this agent thing. Um, I, I hadn't read it, but I, I watched his interview on Inman that people got all worked up, worked up about it, the last thing. And I was like, I, I actually, uh, I found him really interesting. Uh, he's obviously been a, a pillar in the industry for so long. And so I hadn't read the book and wanted to kind of understand how he thought about the space a little bit more. And yeah to see what they what they do over the next few months and years as he's as he's talked about kind of uh adding technology to their stack yeah uh who are you learning from so one of the reasons i so i i love listening to uh there's a podcast called startup uh which is done by a company called gimlet media mm -hmm. uh, i love hearing uh, all of the all of their stuff and they also have a, a podcast called reply all which just talks about random things on the internet mm -hmm. um but they're smart people talking about various topics. Um, I don't necessarily love the concept that every entrepreneur that you've talked with on your podcast is trying to solve, but I'm super impressed with every one of them because mm. each and every one of them saw a problem in real estate or, or in the broader kind of real estate industry and said, I'm not going to just sit around and wait for somebody else to solve this problem. And so they decided to go and do it. So I don't, I, I learned from them, but more, more than that, I get inspired by people like that. Um, similarly, uh, so I, I have an older brother who's, who's been very successful in building an ad tech company. Um, so he's the founder and CEO of a company called the trade desk. Um, mm -hmm. He's extremely intelligent with how he thought about building that business where uh, so it's a, called a demand side platform, which helps serve targeted ads on the internet, uh, yep. including uh, over the top uh, TV uh, programming like Roku, Apple TV through uh, CNN TV and uh, other kind of applications. Um, one of the things that he did early on was he chose to focus on uh, the ad agencies. Um, so uh, uh, WPP and agencies like that because they represent 95% of the spend. And so as we thought about fix, so similarly, as we thought about how do we fix some of the problems that exist in the real estate space, there's a lot of people who say, we're going to come in and be really disruptive. We're going to, we're going to replace real estate agents or we're going to like, I don't think that's the solution. I think uh, there are 2 million real estate agents in the United States I think the solution to finding success is partnering with them and finding ways to make them 
more powerful than they've been before. Yeah. And so I look at look at what he's done and su- success he's had, both from some of the strategic decisions he's made, but then also from the company culture that he's built. Um, so it's a it's a group of people who deeply believe in the mission that they're they're trying to make advertising interesting, so that consumers like you and I we don't have to see the same stupid ads over and over and over again that it, they can be tailored to our own personal interests. Yeah. So when you see an ad, you don't want to click that skip button or you don't want to go walk to the refrigerator because you're saying, Oh, this is a product or service that I'm deeply interested in. Yeah. As an advertiser, you know who I am. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, he's my big brother, so I love him. And like, I, I obviously, uh, I have to look up to him because he's my bigger brother, but really, really impressed with what, with what he did, what he's done and uh, tried to take some of those same philosophies and culture and strategy and, and build them into our business as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, last one here, what inspires you or keeps you inspired? Um, so, I mean, I think two things. So one, uh, I remember the, first time that I bought my house. Uh, so I bought a townhouse in Provo, Utah, just outside of Brigham Young University, just off campus of Brigham Young University. Um, I was like 25 years old, uh, uh, was dating my then wife, my now wife, not then wife, my then girlfriend, <laughs> my now wife. Uh, and it was a scary thing. Uh, but it was super exciting too. Yep. Right? Like I remember getting the keys and like, the house had like pink walls and I didn't care. Like I was just, it was my house. Like it was like, I wasn't wasting money on rent. Uh, so from a financial side, I was like, Oh, this is great. But from a, just like the joy of owning something and feeling like it belonged to you. And it was my own little piece of land. Uh, I want to make that easier for people. Like I want to make that more attainable for people, both because the process is simpler, but also finding ways the more efficient our business can be, uh, the more we can make that affordable for people to, to achieve as well. Because uh, if the cost of doing business is lower for agents, when commissions get pushed down to 4%, that's not as big of a deal to them because they're able to do twice as many transactions because the process has been made better. Um, and so I, I'm really passionate about finding ways to make kind of that joy of owning a home easier for people and making the process feel less like work and more like you're building up to this really exciting moment in your life. So I think that's one thing. And then the other is just my family. Um, I mean, I've got three amazing kids and a wife who uh, all super supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it's really important to me to teach my kids to go after whatever dream that they've got uh, so I, you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but it was a big deal leaving my job at Puppy Spot. So uh, most of the team that worked at Puppy Spot was the same team that I worked with at Spark Networks. We actually, uh, as we moved over to, to Puppy Spot, we went and hired a bunch of the same team. And so I had worked with the same group of people for almost 13 years straight. So not only was I leaving what felt like a family, I was leaving a really good paycheck and stability uh, to go start a company that not only I wasn't getting a paycheck at, uh, but that I was actually shelling money out. Like money was going the opposite direction to build the business. Yeah. Uh, it was a big deal. And so without having a kind of a, a vision and a passion for, for what we're doing and having the support of my family and teaching my kids that when you want to, when you want to change something in the world, and even if it's just, you want to do paperwork better, 
like go do it. Like you're way happier if you're, if you're chasing the things that you're excited about than if you're just working somewhere to collect a paycheck. Like that's, that's not what I want for my kids and my family. I want them to feel like they can do whatever they want and that there's no obstacle in their way uh, that will stop them from accomplishing their dreams other than uh, just choosing to do it. James, I love that. Um, that passion is awesome. You know, uh, a little personal, but I, I wish I would have had someone uh, talking directly to me like that when I was a kid to instill that. Uh, it took until I was in my early 20s to find Robert Kiyosaki <laughs> to, to pass that along. I, so I really appreciate your heart and your passion there. Um, thank you so much. This, uh, I think this is great. I think our listeners are going to gain a lot from this. Um, I think for the realtors listening to this, um, I think you're going to get some interest. Uh, there's just no doubt about it. There's a lot of things to do. Uh, the industry is hyper competitive right now and having a strong transaction coordinator on your side, you know, could be a really big, uh, competitive advantage, uh, to be able to stay up on your game. Um, we didn't talk about, you know, how it helps maintain deal flow. And I know that that's absolutely a big, uh, consideration uh, as well as staying up on prospecting and all the things we probably could have gone another two hours on this, but we got to bring it to a close. And, uh, before we head out though, James, I wanted to give, uh, give you the opportunity. How can people connect directly to you and how can they learn more about offer to close? Yeah. So you can follow me at LinkedIn. Uh, my username is James T green there. Um, you can find me on, you can email me direct. So my email address is jgreen at offertoclose.com. So J-G-R-E-E-N at offertoclose.com. You can also feel free to call us. We're happy to talk to you about our business, 833-OFFER-TC. Um, and uh, I, I, lo- I love having conversations like this. I love, I, I meet with, with lenders and agents and CEOs of large uh, financing companies uh, and love hearing perspective from the most micro level to the most macro level mm-hmm. and seeing that ultimately all of us just want to accomplish great things. Like there's nobody who's doing this today. Who's like, uh, I just woke up one day and like somebody, <laughs> somebody handed me a real estate badge. And so I guess this is what I'm doing. Like, uh, people have actively made a decision that this is the lifestyle they want and it's, it's an exciting space. So anyway, you yeah. definitely reach out to me if you even, if you just, even if you just want to talk, or you disagree with something I said today, like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I love having dialogue and love trying to understand where I may be wrong and where I'm missing the point today. Yeah. Cause that's the only way that we get better and how we help fix, uh, and improve the, the, uh, real estate community. Yeah. Very cool. Well, like I said, thank you so much, James. I'm sure you and I are going to be in touch. Uh, next time I'm in California, uh, we'll have to find a way to link up. Uh, for sure. And for those who are listening, you know, make sure you check them out, uh, get in touch with James or go to offer to close.com and, and take a look at what they're doing. Uh, until the next episode, uh, thanks for your time and we'll catch you guys later. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the tech nest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T E C H N E S T dot I O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the app store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.